Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What a wonderful evening it's been thus far. Don't think we're done yet because we're not. But thank you. I, uh, I, you, you kind of give a half-hearted congratulations. But let's thank these who have worked so diligently for so long for tonight. Thank you. Thank you. All moms and dads, you who helped in this, thank you for that. Thank you for our leaders who have worked so diligently. Thank you for all this. And what you don't see behind goes on behind the scenes is week after week after week in our master clubs, working with the kids and, 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 uh, and investing in them and loving on them. And so, so thank you. And this is, this, we're reaping the benefits right, right now. And so praise the Lord. I feel really inadequate now preaching after that because uh, this, the bar has been set very high for both a, a lesson and, and the preaching. And so wonderful job, both of you. But I'm going to anyway, so take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Timothy. <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 4. And what you just experienced is, is what God has prepared for our future. This is the future right here. This is, this is exciting to me. I mean, this is life. This is, this is the lifeblood of the church here. And to see what God's doing and, and developing and and working on and maturing our kids. I just, I couldn't be more excited. Praise the Lord. This is just thrilling to me. <clears throat> in 2 Timothy chapter 4, <clears throat> excuse me, verses 7 and 8, Paul says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. What I want you to notice is one little phrase in verse number 7. I have finished my course. I have finished my course. We're in a series on Sunday nights now. How can I love God more? I was sharing with somebody just yesterday. Um, that's how, how God's been working in my heart and stirring my heart. Uh, showing me that, that that's the first commandment. Uh, number one is love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. All of it. Well, I'm standing here tonight confessing to you my weakness. I don't always love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind. But I want to. And so I went to the scriptures here a couple months ago trying to find help. How can I love God more? And he started revealing one little thing after another. And so that's what I'm just kind of bringing to you, areas of help that he's been to me in ways that I can love Him more. And tonight, one of the ways that I believe that we can love God more is by finishing what He asks us to do. When He gives us a task, it's to complete the task. I've told you numerous times, when, numerous times when my kids were growing up, I'd give them a task. They would find so many things to do other than finish the task. Something as simple as cleaning the room. I'm sure all of you clean your room every time you're told thoroughly. You don't have to be asked again, right? <laughs> well, my girls didn't always do that. They had to be told numerous times sometimes. And what, 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 was, what they would say, one of my girls in particular would come and say, well, but Daddy, I love you, but, but I love you. And I said, I love you too, now go make your bed. I love you, but Daddy, I love you. Well, I love you too, but prove it. <laughs> prove it by completing what Daddy said. Follow through and do everything like you're told. Jesus said something like this in the New Testament. If you love me, Keep my commandments. Follow through. Just do what I say. So one of the ways I believe that I can learn to love God more, and I want to love Him more, is by following through what He tells me to do. Well, the first thing I want to share with you 
the way that we can follow through is by passing his tests. Now, I'm going to get the hard stuff out of the way right away. I never liked tests. I didn't like studying for tests. I didn't like having tests. They, they, they made me all get all nervous, and, and uh, the tests come along, and oh, man, I'm working so hard to get ready for the test. And then there's always that question on there that you weren't ready for. You're studying for all of them. That crazy teacher put that, that one question on there that you weren't ready for. You get everything else, but that one, what were they thinking? In Deuteronomy chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of the prophet, or that dreamer of dreams. Notice, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. I underline that phrase, the Lord your God proveth you. He proves you. He tests you. The Lord your God tests you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Boy, when I read that, it's like a little light bulb went on. Ding! Whoa! That's why God puts me through tests. That's why I have to go through some difficult times. That's why I go through some trials, some sorrows, some things I just don't understand. It's because sometimes God is testing me to find out what's in my heart. And sometimes what comes out of my heart isn't very pleasing. Sometimes when God tests me, there's things that come out that aren't Christ-honoring. There's sometimes impatience. There's sometimes grumbling. There's sometimes discouragement when those trials come. But what God is doing when He brings the trials along is he exposes what's down deep in my heart. You know the story of Job. The story of Job is one of the most amazing stories in the Bible. How Job was an incredibly rich man, a wealthy man, and he pleased God. So much so that God was, was bragging to the devil about Job. God said to the devil, devil, take a, take a look. There's, there's one of my guys around there. There's one of my guys, Job. Oh, I'm so proud of him. He's, he's such a good, good Christian man. He's such a good man. He loves me with all of his heart. God was just relishing that love that Job had for him. And the devil, as the devil always does, he's so dirty. He plays so dirty. He snarls at God and says, Oh, God, the only reason Job is like that is because you've blessed him. Look, he's got all this wealth. He's got good health. He's got a wonderful family. Of course he serves you. Ah, but let me touch him and take away all that he has, and then he will curse you to your face. I don't think so, God said. So, have at it. And the book of Job is Satan having at it with Job. Taking away all that Job had. His livestock, all of his money, his wealth. His health, even the support of his wife. And then, in one tragic, tragic event, all ten of his children are killed. Imagine that. 
Job sitting there in the ash heap. Why is he sitting in ashes? Because back then it's the only way he could get relief from those horrible sores that were all over his body. Is he scraping those sores there? Job's didn't realize it, but Job's in a test. He didn't realize it. God never told him. But God put him in a test. It was a test going on, originated in heaven, between God and the devil. Now, how in the world is Job going to reveal to God that he loves him? Everything he had was just taken away. Job said, Though he kill me, yet will I trust him. He did not say one bad thing against the Lord. That test that he went through revealed his love for God. In Job 1.8, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God, and eschew with evil? He hates evil. Have you, have you considered it, Job? God said. In Job 1.11, But put forth thine hand now, and touch all he hath, and he will curse thee of thy faith. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself, put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Job 23 and verse 10. So now, now, in the throes of all of his agony, Job says, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, when God has tried, he's tested, he's proved, he's put me through these trials, when God has finished trying me, I shall come forth as gold. Job was cast into a major test, the test of the likes of which I don't want to even consider. But in the middle of that test, what was in his heart was revealed. His intense love and confidence in his God. At the end of a test, typically a teacher would take the test I handed in and then would score it. And they love to use that red ink. You ever notice that? They love to use red ink and they mark up all that paper and put all that red ink all over. Every time you make a mistake, I'd circle it. And then they put a score at the end. Well, it was Job's test score. Well, at the end of the book, in chapter 42 of Job, it says, And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto, the, unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. Therefore, take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for him will I accept." lest I deal with you after your folly, in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job hath. Now, I didn't go into the whole story, but Job had some friends. Three guys showed up to be a support, supposedly, to Job, and the entire rest of the book is them talking to Job and blaming Job for the situation he's in. They said, Job, the reason you had all this taken away is because you must have sin somewhere in your life. Well, was that the reason he had it all taken away? Because there was sin in his heart? No. 
is because God and the devil were having this confrontation. But these three friends were convinced it was Job's fault. But at the end of the story, God comes along and he says, his, these three, three friends, I'm really mad at you. I'm really angry at you, his three friends, because the thing that you said was not right. Job was right before me. In fact, he, Job, is my servant. And unless Job pray for you, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> what was Job's test score? A plus. A plus. I even got an A plus plus one time. You got an A plus plus? I got an A plus plus one time. Yeah. I think Job got an A plus plus by God. Because the testing that Job went through, that he finished, he passed, revealing that he loved God. You mean that God sometimes puts us through difficult times and trials and tests simply, simply to find out what's in our hearts? Yeah. Next, how can I love God more? Well, by, by passing tests, number two is by fulfilling my commitments. In 2 Corinthians 8.8, 8, it tells the story of, um, of Paul, the apostle, I've shared this with you, going to the various churches and trying to raise support for the church of Jerusalem. Because at the time, there was such persecution in Jerusalem, they were really being hurt. And, and they were, they were, they were, they were uh, uh, going without jobs and without money, without food. And so Paul was brokenhearted for them, and he went around trying to raise support for the church at Jerusalem. He went to the church at Corinth, and Cor the Corinthians took upon that burden, and they were so uh, concerned for them, they took this big offering. Well, as they were raising the offering, Paul transferred to another church, and then to another church, another church, spreading the news of trying to raise fun funds. Well, Paul gets way away, and he receives a word, this is months and months later, that the church at Corinth had never sent the gift. They raised the offering, but they never sent it to Jerusalem. So the Jerusalem people were still hurting without the money that Corinth had raised. So they had made the commitment, but they never followed through on the commitment. In 2 Corinthians 8.8, 8, I speak not by commandment, Paul says, but by occasion of the forwardness of others. He says, and to prove the sincerity of your love. Did you catch it? How can I love God more? Uh, Paul says, I'm going to prove the sincerity of your love. You, you say you love, but I'm going to prove it right now, he says. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Paul says, here I give my advice. For this is expedient for you who have begun before, not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it. Did you catch it? You were forward a year ago. You raised it a year ago. You were eager to raise money for Jerusalem a year ago. Now I'm telling you, follow through and pass it along. Fulfill your commitment. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of what ye have. He challenged them to prove the sincerity of their love. In 2 Corinthians 8, 24. Wherefore, show ye to them, and before the churches, the proof of your love. 
and of our boasting on your behalf. In other words, when I was with you, Paul said, you really talked it up. You really said, man, we sure feel bad for the church of Jerusalem. Oh, that breaks our heart. Oh, we're weeping and crying for the church of Jerusalem. In fact, we're going to give lots of money to the church of Jerusalem. So Paul said, that's wonderful. Just what I want. Paul leaves. They sit on the money. It's not helping. Paul said the, to prove your love. Well, how can they prove their love? By fulfilling their commitment and sending the money on to Jerusalem, he says. <laughs> just in case, just in case, chapter 9, verse 1, for as touching the ministering to the saints, talking about this offering going to Jerusalem, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia, or the church at Corinth, was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet, here's what he did. Their zeal, they were so excited to raise the offering, Paul told every other church how generous Corinth was. But now he finds out they're still sitting on the offering. So he sends them a letter, and he says, I've been telling all the churches how forward you were, how excited you were, how generous you were, but now I find out you're still sitting on the offering. He said, that's what he did. I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, ye may be ready. In other words, Corinth, I've sent some men there to make sure that the offering gets delivered. <laughs> Just in case you're not going to follow through, I'm going to make sure you do, he said. You ever not followed through on a commitment? You ever been asked to do something or told to do something and not followed it through or not followed it through completely? What do you suppose that tells the person that told you to do it? I had not been on staff very long back in Illinois when uh, and I was responsible at the time assistant pastor but one of the things I was doing was over over the physical maintenance of the church and just like here there's there's lights up here these platform lights and one Sunday looked up and one of the lights was out and it wasn't a big deal to me but one of the lights was out which means on the platform there was a certain area that was kinda in the dark so the fellow that was over me caught me after church and said, by the way, we need to take care, <clears throat> he's very kind, we need to take care of that light, that spotlight on the platform. I said, you're right, I'll get to it this week. <laughs> you know, that week came and went, and I got busy with a hundred other things and I never got around to it. <clears throat> so I'm sitting on the platform the next week, because I led the music and, and directed the choir, I'm sitting on the platform. I look up, oops, <laughs> I see the light out. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, I should have got that. Guess who came to see me after the service? And he wasn't as kind as he was the other time. And he said, I, I thought I asked you to change that bulb. And I said, well, you did. I'm sorry I didn't get around to it. But I'll get to it this week. That week came. And that week went. And I didn't change the light bulb because I had 3,000 other things to do, and quite frankly, I forgot about it. I came out and I led the choir, kind of like here, I try to bring the choir, I lead, and the choir follows me out, and the choir is all standing there, they all got their sound books open, they're all singing, big smiles, I'm smiling real big, I look up, oh no, and I look out and I see him, and that's not a smile I'm looking at. Three 
weeks in a row, I failed to change that spotlight. See, how could you be so, I don't know. <laughs> but it damaged our relationship because he thought that I was refusing to obey what he told me to do. When in reality, I was just too dumb. I just, I just forgot about it. I didn't write it down like I should have. I finally got to it, but by then it was too late because, like I say, the relationship was already hurt. You suppose there's any chance that my relationship with God could be damaged? As he tells me to do something, and I find everything else to do except that. And so he reminds me, I'm always so gracious about it, so kind about it, but he reminds me. But I don't get around to it. I think that it has a way of affecting our relationship. You want to love God more. Then follow through on the commitments. Number three. In 1 John 3 and verse 17, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we were of the truth, notice, and shall assure our hearts before him. As, as we help with action, as we help somebody by doing something, we are revealing what's in our hearts. It's assuring our hearts. It's revealing our hearts. So the third thing I've written down here is to love with action. Love is an action word. When you open up to 1 Corinthians 13, you find out that love, charity, is a doing word. It's an action word. It's not just something where you say. In a relationship, boy, those words get pretty empty and pretty hollow after a while if you never follow through on them with actions. Like, like my daughter is saying, but Daddy, I love you. Daddy, I love you. I love you too, sweetheart, but you're not proving it because the room is not clean yet. Prove your love for me by following through. Don't just give me words, but do. True concern for others is evidence of one's salvation. If the Holy Spirit of God is truly living inside, the Holy Spirit is going to be opening your eyes to the needs of others around you. This morning we mentioned the story of this woman that was caught in adultery. And how the rabbis came dragging her in and they all had stones in their hands. They were going to stone her to death. Then we saw a blind man. A blind man who couldn't see from birth. In both situations, Jesus could have done this. Jesus could have said to that woman who was there ready to stone, he could have said, I am God and I love you. Have a good day. Walked away. To the blind man, he could have come and pat the blind man on the back and walked off. Have a good day. I love you. But Jesus did not have empty words. Jesus loved with actions. I could 
I could sit here or stand here all night and give you illustrations of people that have followed through and demonstrated their love by the actions they have done in serving others. Love is an action word. How can I love God more by fulfilling commitments, by loving, by doing, by being good to people? And then lastly, in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 2, it says, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness. They're ready now to go into the promised land. For forty long years they've been wandering, and the parents all died off in the wilderness. But the younger generation is now ready to go into the promised land and to possess the land. And God comes to, uh, to Moses and says in, in Deuteronomy, uh, he rehearses the law to them and tell the people that this is what I expect for them and what it's going to be like going into the promised land. And he said, uh, Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee, now listen, and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. Hmm. Those forty years in the wilderness were humbling years, and they were times of proving to reveal what was in their hearts. He said. So they were going through repeated testings, day after day after day after day of these testings for 40 years. And all the funerals they had, the miserable time. Just like some of you, whose life is filled with repeated testings, one test after another. Instead of, instead of getting through one test and getting into another one, it's just one test just bleeds into another, that bleeds into another, and they compound, and before long you're carrying all these, the weight of the tests on you. God told the Israelites, now that you're ready to go in, let me tell you why and what I've done these 40 years. I've proven you. I've tested you so that I could see what was in your heart. Every one of us this evening has something in our heart. We all do. Every one of us has something going on in our heart. Some of us, we are right now thinking about other things. We're thinking about what we're going to be doing shortly once we get out of here. Some of us have health issues, and that's really weighing us down right now. <clears throat> Some of us have financial pressures. And that's really heavy on our hearts. <clears throat> Some of us have, have personal problems with somebody else, or work problems, car problems. And right, th and, and right now, they're just weighing us down. What's in your heart? Anxiety, fear, worry, depression, discouragement? What's in your heart? Well, God says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you through some trials, some testings to find out what's in your heart. And just like Job, what I want to see come out is your love for me. <laughs> Repeated testings are opportunities that God uses, first of all, to humble us. To keep us humble before Him. Because we are so prone to get proud and to think, I don't really need God. Oh, we wouldn't say that, but we live our life as if we don't need Him. Number one, to humble us. Number two is to reveal the true condition of our hearts. We get pretty cocky in our own way. We think that we're, we're, we're pretty good. We're, we're pretty good. We're not real bad. After all, so-and-so did something much worse than I did. And thirdly, to see if we will stay 
submitted to him. Stay faithful through repeated testings. I'm so glad that Mama Rollins can be here tonight. <laughs> see, well, it's good to see you. When I was writing this message, I couldn't get the Rollins family out of my head. And not in a bad, creepy way. I don't mean that. I mean in a way to where they have been through incredible testings. But what keeps being revealed is their consistent love for God, their dedication to God. I don't want to be Job. I don't want to have everything taken away. I don't, I don't want to have to do that. But I do want to love God more. And I'm going to tell you right now, that whatever it takes for us to love God more, I think we should be willing. I don't like trials. I don't like the hurt. I don't like sorrows. I don't like pressure. But I do want to love God more. And so tonight... How can we love God more? And I think it's through following through what he asks us to do, by allowing us to prove, test our hearts. These Master Club kids tonight revealed the test they've been through. You see, week after week after week, they've been studying, preparing. And tonight, they simply got to show off what they did. It was a test. And oh, they did so good. They passed A++. We're going to stand before the Lord one day. You and I are going to stand before the Lord. Will you pass the test? Are you passing the test now? As he tests you, what comes out? Oh, let's let God prove us, and let's let him give us more love for him. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love, and thank you for this sweet, sweet evening. Lord, my heart is so rejoicing into seeing the spiritual growth in our Master Club students. Lord, I pray that you might bless each one of them, and thank you for them and for their families. I pray, Lord, that you might continue what you've begun in them and what spiritual giants we're seeing here. I pray, Lord, that you might take this message and use it in each of our hearts, because sometimes instead of, instead of love coming out when we're tested, we get a little testy with you. And, and Lord, sometimes we even turn away from you and get angry with you. And so, Lord, I pray that you might help us to love you more by being willing to follow through on what you ask us to go through. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Would you take just a moment? And as we're considering this, what's in your heart? Is it love for God no matter what? Or have you allowed the tests, the trials, to break that relationship between you and God? How about thanking Him for the trial and asking Him to help you love Him more?
Thank you, dear Lord Jesus, for this time. I pray that you'll be glorified in it, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.